Awesome. Turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. We're covering two chapters today, so a little bit shorter than what we've been doing. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles up here that we'd love to pass out to you. Just slip your hand up, okay? Don't feel weird about this. We give them out every week. If you don't own a Bible, you do now. It's a free gift to you, okay? Uh, We also, if you have the cell phone Bible, that counts, okay? That's fine. Pull that up. We want you to follow along. Uh, that uh, you know we're not just throwing words on the screen that we're hoping you believe are actually accurate, okay? Uh, Follow along in the Word of God. So we've got, again, two chapters to cover, so I'm going to jump right in, move kind of quick, and then we'll we'll fill in some of the intro stuff as we go. Um, But the only thing I'll say before we jump into Exodus 19, verse 1, is if you're not familiar with the story of Exodus, if church, you haven't been around for the last handful of weeks, um, in, in essence... Exodus is the story of God's deliverance of a people called Israel out of slavery and captivity in Egypt. He has chosen them, called them, and raised them up that they might be a blessing to the nation. So he would love the people of Israel. He would bless the people of Israel that they would then go and proclaim his name to the rest of the world. Okay, that's the idea. We pick it up in Exodus 19. Now, post-Exodus, they've been uh, removed from Egypt, and now they are in the wilderness. It will take them 40 years to go from Egypt to the land of Canaan, this promised land for the people of God. It will take them 40 years to get there, and we're barely, in, we're like weeks into this journey in the wilderness, and we pick it up in Exodus 19, God laying out the law and the statutes for, hey, if you're going to be my people, this is what it looks like. And so here we go, verse 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you out to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Okay, so what we get here is this initial moment, right, as God now trying to declare to his people, this is what life is going to look like for us. But he lays out some stipulations that build up to what we will know as the Ten Commandments, which come in Exodus chapter 20. The beginnings of the law of God to govern his people for the sake of blessing to the world. And so here's a handful of things that we get just from this text. First, there's the the backdrop, which we've kept telling you is Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. It's God calling uh, Abraham, the father of Israel, the the kind of the ancestor with which they all draw lineage to, um, calling Abraham and saying, listen, I'm going to build in you a great nation, and then that nation will be blessed to be a blessing. You've heard this a lot of times here, and so we'll keep banging that drum. So that's the backdrop. The foundation is what? I've brought you to myself, he says in verse 4. In other words, you're mine. Like you, you, you belong to me. You, you belong to no other. That, that if you, there's any question what your identity is, who you belong to, it's God. It's, it's Yahweh specifically. And we're going to get into kind of the other gods in the midst of So that's the foundation for the people of God is to remind themselves who they belong to. Verse 5 is the condition for the people of God. If you obey my voice, then there will be something. We'll talk about that in a moment. So there's a condition to this promise. If you obey my voice, so notice he hasn't laid out the commandments yet, but that's coming. 
But if you just obey my voice, if you trust my voice, listen to what I'm saying and say, yes, I'm in, then, verse 5b, the promise, you shall be my treasured possession above all things. You shall be my treasured possession above all things. So we, we zoom back, right? If we could flash back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates the earth and the heavens and all that is within it. And after each creation, he says, it is good. But then he gets to creating people and he lands with, it is very good. And now he's saying, in the midst of the very good, y'all will be my treasured possession in the midst of the very good. Okay? So you have Good creation, you have very good creation, and you have treasured possession. If you shall obey my voice, you shall be my treasured possession in the midst of everything I've created, even the things that are very good, namely humanity. Six, we get then the vocation. Vocation, other word, would be calling of the people of God. So in the midst of all this, this is who you are, this is what I've done. If you do this, then this. Here is the calling for the people of God. Verses, uh, verse 6, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. If all of this, right, you ruminate, you meditate on all this, know this. Your calling now, Israel, is to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Kingdom of priests. Let's talk priesthood for just a moment. Any priest does what? Mediates God and man, right? Says, hey, I will come in, I will teach, I will pray, I will represent God so that man would know, right? It becomes this kind of, if this is you and this is God, he kind of bridges the gap that we might know God. He prays for the people of God. He teaches the people of God about the statutes. Now, here's the crazy part of this. Because at, every, at this time, in the ancient Near East, which is where this is taking place, all the other gods had their priests too. But they were very specific, holy people. Now, Israel has this as well, but God is doing something different amongst the people of Israel. Well, notice he's not just saying, hey, there's going to be a select few of you that will now be these priests that will mediate God to the rest of the world. Rather, I'm asking that every Jew would be a mediator of God's grace and goodness and name to the world. This is wild, okay? You have to understand this. Again, gods did not invite their subjects into their work, Right? God said, no, 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 I'll take care of this. Y'all just do what I tell you to do. God's saying, join me in the work of bringing my name to the world. This is massive. And it's called initially to the people of Israel. Then he gives us the second part and says, well, then you also have to be a holy nation. Set apart, consecrated, sinless, holy, different. Okay, no, 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 we, we can kind of think about this and say, oh, man, he's, is, is this kind of creating like a we're better than judge, like you kind of say, well, we're over here, and so we'll judge that over there. And hear me, that's, that's not the case. Now, if it was just, hey, I just want you to be a holy nation, then maybe we can get some sniffs of that, right? Because, hey, I just want you to be different, so let's all, hey, let's pack this thing up, let's move to the mountains, and let's talk to nobody. If the only call of the people of God is holy nation, if all that we're supposed to do is just be perfect, follow God, never sin, right? Then let's get out of Dodge. Like, why stay here in the midst of brokenness and pain and hurt, right? Like, let's go find a commune. And people have tried this. Like, let's get away and be our own thing and be holy and different and separate. And it falls apart. Why? Because that is not the calling of the people of God. 
It's both and. It's be holy, be set apart, be different, abstain from sin. Why? That you might then mediate God to the world. So it has to be both. Okay? So this is why then God comes in with the law. That's why for the rest of tonight or today and then into next week and then really, literally if you, if you go through Leviticus and Deuteronomy and you get the Levitical and Deuteron- Deuteronomic law, you're like, man, why, why, is, why all this stuff? Because God is saying, I'm trying to separate you that you then might go, okay? That you might be different, that your mission might be greater fulfilled, okay? So, so the law is not meant to be this this weighted burden upon the people, but rather a gift. It's meant to say, life is best lived this way, and when we do this, we then fulfill our mission better. Okay. Now, Paul will reflect later that what the law ended up also doing for us is revealing to us our need for a Savior, which it will also do for Israel over time in their longing for the coming Messiah. Okay. And so all of this is at work in the midst of them, and let me tell you, it must also be in the midst of us as well. I'll focus this on the end of the sermon, but Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 repeats that very same language about the church. He says, church, you are to be a holy nation and a priesthood of all believers. And he will invite the church to say, you know what God's been trying to do for thousands and thousands and thousands of years that the people of God might be a blessing unto the world, holy and set apart, but very, very engaged Church, that's now you, okay? So he takes the same language, so we'll focus on that on the end. So here we go. Verse 7, let's see how they respond. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported to the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. And so here's what we know about this moment. We know that it doesn't stick, for all of them at least. Okay? We're going to see throughout the story of Israel in the wilderness that they kind of continue to come up unfaithful. Okay? But here in this moment, they're like, yes, we're in. Okay? And, and so you kind of get the visions of, of kind of the camp salvation moment, if some of you had that. Okay, where you, know, you went to youth camp, the smoke was just really great that day, right? The fog machines were really crushing it, lights beamed right on you, you thought it was the spirit, okay? <laughs> and you said, yep, I'm in. And you ran down the aisle and said, sign me up. For me, what that was, was I went to youth group because I was a chasing a girl, and every time, you got, every time you got saved, they gave you a soda, right? And so I got saved every week, okay? It was like, this is amazing, I'll take a Dr. Pepper this week, thank you very much. This God is good, okay? Okay, and so, 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 that, so maybe this has some elements of that, of like, yes, God, you've done this great thing. That's amazing. I'm in. And it's this real emotional-based response. It doesn't seem to be fully based as we unpack the story a bit more. Now, that's not true for all of Israel. It's just true for a good chunk of Israel. And so that's their response. But I do want us to notice this one thing. The law has yet to be given, Right? So, so what has he done here? He, he said, I want you to trust me, follow me, believe me, and say, like, you're in with me before any of the commandments roll out. And so he asks the same of us. Hear me. It's, 
We don't obey because we like the commandments, because we think we can obey the commandments. We don't say, yes, God, I'm following you because it's something we can manage. We don't do it because we like what it has to say. We do it because God said it. We, we follow God because he's God. We follow God because of what he's done, not because of the law. So then when the law comes in, and what we're about to see over the next couple weeks, some of this is truly difficult like massively difficult for us to apply every single day. Now, it, so we can't then decide, well, now I'll check out because it's just too hard. God invites us into following him before the stipulation. Okay. And so when the stipulation comes, it really begins to press in on why did we say yes in the first place? Because what you're going to see in Israel is the law then comes and they're like, yeah, but not that one. Like, God, I'll take you, and, and I want to follow you, and I'll listen to you, but not those two. Like, that's for me. Like, you, I'll, I'll give you the other eight. I'm not going to murder. Like, I'm in, okay? But the other stuff, the coveting, I'm going to do some of that, okay? And, and so on and so forth, and so we'll break that down. So um, this is kind of where they're at, and so where are we at with the Lord in that process? Exodus 19, 10 through 25, I'm just, I'm just going to paraphrase for a moment. God moves closer to the people. They say, yes, we're in. God's like, all right, let me show you my power. He comes down the mountain just a bit, not enough where they can see him, but the glory, okay, the, 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 the greatness of God, the grandeur of God comes in thunder and lightning, and the people live in fear and in awe of this God, this reverent, like, wow, this guy is pretty legit. Now, you have to remember what's going on in their minds, because probably just there's like, like a month or so before this, the last time they saw a bunch of thunder and lightning would have been plague number seven, six, when hail starts falling from the sky, right? And, and so I wonder if they're like, no, 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 we're in, dude. Like, we're in, okay? <laughs> and so this is our God who comes close and is meant to elicit awe and longing and a desire to say, yes, God, you are that big and that powerful. Now, Exodus chapter 20. One of the most well-known passages in all of Scripture, okay? And may, maybe a lot of us might not have known it's Exodus chapter 20. We just know it as the Ten Commandments. And it was the Decalogue, right? These, these ten main laws that define how the people are supposed to act. Now, a really important footnote as we jump into this. What you get today is what we call kind of foundational law, okay? In other words, think of it this way. You have foundational law, and then we'll really jump into next week, which you see throughout Leviticus and Deuteronomy. It'd be more like case law, right? So, so here's what I mean by that. Um, think of the U.S. Constitution, right? We have the Bill of Rights, right? You have the, the, the 10 Bill of Rights. Now, here's the idea that they went off. The amendments and the laws that come off of that, they're supposed to say, let's look back at the Bill of Rights. Does it line up with the foundational bills, the, the foundational laws, the foundational amendments, and do current laws align with the Constitution? That's how we govern the United States of America, right? And so what God's doing is he's setting up his government amongst his people to say, here's the foundational laws of what we're supposed to be doing. The other laws will be almost clarifiers, like per this specific case, when this thing happens with your ox, when this thing happens with your goat, when this thing happens with your sister, these are the things that you're supposed to do. Why? That it might honor the original foundational law which is what we get here. So this stuff is not obsolete. It then gives us the blanket vision for how the people of God are to act. Jesus will clarify this in Matthew chapter 5, which we'll talk about a couple times throughout this. Okay, so here we go. We're going to move quick through these. Uh, listen, literally every single one of these commandments could be at least a sermon, if not a series, and I understand that. And so don't, we're, we're not trying to say like, 
it's not which one of the commandments am I bad at today. It's understanding kind of the larger work that God's trying to do in forming and shaping a people by his law. If anything, that we would leave today and say, man, the law of God is good. And, and, and I need to work through with intentionality where I am potentially falling short in love of God and love of neighbor. Okay, so uh, the first one, here we go. God spoke all his words saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment one, you shall have no other gods before me. Remember, he said that what? They would be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests unto who? Unto Yahweh. Unto me, he says. So naturally, to have other gods would severely inhibit our ability to be a holy nation and a kingdom of priests unto God. And so he says, you shall have no other gods except for me. You can only serve Yahweh. And hear me, there were a lot of options back then. Okay, see, so all, all these other little, uh, all the little but massive at times, these nations and these people groups, they had their own tribal deities, right? Like, like if you grew up, you probably studied some Greek mythology or some Roman mythology. But Assyria and, and Babylon, they, they had their own gods as well. And so so what would happen is, as the people are are kind of traversing through the land, God knew, hey, you're going to come into contact with a lot of other people that serve a lot of other gods. You can only serve me. That's the way we fulfill holy nation, royal priesthood, okay? And again, that has to remain in the vision. Blessed to be a blessing, so we're a holy nation, we're royal priesthood. God's mission always in the backdrop of why we say, no, we'll only serve you, because there is this greater work that's behind it, okay? Okay. the next one, uh, Second Commandment, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands for those who love me and keep my commandments. Our calling is to be a holy nation and royal priesthood unto God, and so let us not create a false idol. Let, let us not create these things that we worship above God. So, so not, not just other gods, but I, I th- just carved images, things, right? And so there's maybe not a ton of this, going on now? Like, there's maybe not a ton of stuff. But let me, let me talk about it this way. So, um, because that, it, it's interesting that God would say, I'm a jealous God, and we may say, is that, can you do that, God? Like, are you allowed to be jealous? Is that an okay thing to feel? I think jealousy, the way that y'all do it, we do it, uh, not good, okay? Uh, the way we do jealousy, probably bad, because there's like, oh, I'm going to kill that person, right? And so, um, the way God does jealousy, you just have, is, is based in, in love. Like, no, 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 like, we're in covenant. I've given you and continue to give you everything. I love you. And so yeah, I'm jealous to see you. So think about it this way. I am in covenant with my wife, Verity, right? Like she, her and I, like we, we signed it. We committed it. We united it. Like we're, like we, she's not here. I don't, I, she usually sits where JD is. So don't get confused here. That's not Verity, okay? So, um, <laughs> and so I love you, bro. But, um, and so, uh, so Verity and I are in covenant. Now, uh, she has, she should have expectations. She now is warranted to my love, to my affection, to my, she is above all people else in this world. Now, what if I came home one day, hear me, it sounds silly, but what if I came home today with a giant statue of Verity, right? And then instead of talking to her, loving her, being with her, dinner with her, talking with her, 
showering her with affection and gifts and all sorts of good things that hopefully I can provide. I instead do it to a statue. And so imagine I walk into the living room, there's my wife, there's a statue that looks just like her, and I choose the statue, right? And I begin to lay things at its feet. I begin to spend most of my time with it. If something happens to it, right, like if the kids accidentally knock it over, all of a sudden my heart's in shambles. Now you hear that and you're like, dude, that's, that's just absolutely foolish. Yes, it is. But that's how we live. And that's the problem. You understand, like when we chase after something as silly as that, we're being foolish. And I don't mean that, and I'm putting myself in that same boat. God's right here. Right? It's not like he's not accessible. It's not like, you know, he's in a different state, so all I got is the statue. It's like, you know, he's always present with his people. So he's with them now, and so he's like, guys, don't, don't get an idol. Don't get something that's lesser than me, that may look like me, or, but it, it's not me. It's powerless, and it distorts our relationship, okay? Now, again, like, we don't have a ton of statues, maybe, that we're doing that with. Like, I doubt... Hopefully, right, you husbands don't have one of those for your wife, okay? But man, we got other things, right? Yesterday we were at dinner, we were actually, we are on our way, we weren't at dinner yet, we were on our way to the Arboretum for a pumpkin walk with the kids, okay? Um, it started at four, and LSU was still playing, okay? So I'm in this massive dilemma, okay? <laughs> Love my family, will LSU beat Auburn? Okay. Um, now, for most of you, I've realized that Flagstaff, most of y'all don't care about sports, which is maybe why I'm moving. But, um, and so, hear me. We get into the car. I, I make a somewhat decent decision, and we leave at 4.15. So I got a little extra time in the game, but then we went to the thing, okay? And so we're in the car, and, and she's like, you, you, are you okay? And I'm like, no, my stomach's in knots. I'm nervous. She goes, why are you only nervous about, like, you're never nervous or anxious about anything in life except sports, Right? And I, I just said, well, because I'm an idolater, babe, okay? okay? Calvin says, right, that this whole world is just one giant theater of idolatry. And, and, and hear me, like, that's, again, and I'm sitting there thinking, like, love my wife and my two boys with whom I'm in direct covenant to. I need to love them. They need to be first. And I'm like, ah, but this game is going to be, okay? <laughs> it's foolish, right? So hear me, that's, that's one of my things, like, legitimately, that I need to check at the door. And so you guys got other stuff though. And at what point do those things trump God? Do they trump then the people in your life? But hear me, I guarantee you they are far more important. And then it gets into even greater love of neighbor because hear me, the Ten Commandments, again, they're not just that we might be a holy nation, but what? That we might be a kingdom of priests to the world. And so hear me, when you're worshiping other idols, you're not able to love people well, okay? When all of a sudden the love of money Okay, when that has become the idol for us, guess what? We don't love the poor, period. Okay, if money is an idol, we don't love the poor. Okay, if my own self-interest is an idol, okay, whatever's best for me, there's a decent chance, it's not always the, the absolute correlate, you don't care about injustice. When it's only about us, why care about the needs of other people? When we make these idols, we cannot fulfill the mission that God's given his people. Not just to be a holy nation, but to be a kingdom of priests. Okay, number three, uh, verse seven. 
Uh, you shall not take the name of the Lord God, your, uh, the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Again, holy nation, royal priesthood. So way we talk about God. Okay? There's a lot in view here, I think. Okay? First, the obvious, right? Don't profane the name of God. Uh, don't, don't degrade the name of God. Specifically for Israel, Yahweh. Right? Don't degrade the name of Yahweh. When, and again, when he's proclaiming that name, he's saying, I am the God of the whole world. N- not just a tribal deity. I am Yahweh, the God of the whole world. Yet I am also with you, my chosen people. Okay? And don't degrade, defame, tear down my name. Second one, though, really in view throughout the rest of the law, don't invoke his name for dishonest gain. Okay? Don't invoke, like, don't be like, oh, well, you know, uh, I got God with me, so that's why I'm trustworthy, okay? Uh, specifically, don't, the Bible, don't enter into these contracts and these O's just by tossing around the name of God like that, hence defaming and degrading the glory of the name of God, okay? Uh, also, I mean, think about it this way. I think it would be a good way. Don't, don't talk about him as if he's not in the room, okay? And some, some, that should hit home for some of us, right? Because like I said that about Sabrina the other day, and same thing, right? Like we don't talk about people behind their back. God is present with us. So don't, don't invoke his name. Don't degrade his name. Don't use his name in a way where you're like, no, you're standing right there, man. And so the application is, is massive in the midst of that. Remember how important the name of God is to the name of God or to God. Throughout the Exodus account, as he's taking the people out of Egypt, he said, I'm doing this, why? That the world might know my name. This is massive. This is not just like this thing, well, you know, I said something. No, no, like, take it seriously, the way we consider and talk about the God who created us. Number eight, or uh, verse eight, commandment four. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, sojourner who is in with your gates, who is, in, who is within your gates. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Again, you are called to be a holy nation, royal priesthood, so rest and keep the Sabbath day holy. Now, um, Specifically, God will establish, he'll further establish rules for the Sabbath throughout the rest of the law. But the idea is in view here of um, we emulate God when we rest. Why? Because God rested in creation. That's what it gets rooted in. Okay? Um, but ultimately, it's this massive belief in a God who doesn't stop working, if, if that makes sense. In other words, he doesn't need you and he doesn't need me to put in a 168-hour shift every week which is 24 hours a day for seven days, okay, if you didn't get that, okay? That's not what he's asking. In fact, do you ever think about this? Like, he, he makes you fall asleep every day? Do you think God couldn't have created human beings that didn't sleep? Of course he could have. No, but he said, you know what I'm going to build in to these people? Sleep. So that literally a fourth for you college students and a third for us normal, hopeful adults, okay, <laughs> we're sleeping, Okay? that we might be recharged to then go back out and serve. But is God sleeping in those eight hours you're sleeping? No. Sabbath rest is meant to, to, to pull us away and say like, dude, you're not me. Right? You're not God. 
God's in control, man. Like God's sovereign. God's working. God's restoring. God's mission is his mission. Believe me, he's going to fulfill it. But he's invited his people into this, okay? He, he said, no, I've chosen you. I, I want you to come on. You remember, a God who says to his people, I want you to be part of this thing. Massive, okay? But rest. And we talked about this last week, so I don't want to belabor it, but we're terrible at this. We're so bad at rest. We talked about last week how, you know, if, I, if you ask someone how they're doing, the first answer they always give is that I'm busy. It's like, how is everyone busy? You think every technological advancement we keep making is going to make life less busy. It's made us more busy. It's made us more addicted. Okay? Rest. We're going to do some, some work on Sabbath rest and, and things like that in the new year that we're excited about uh, and kind of really draw into that. So I don't, I don't want to, um, we just don't have the time today. But um, if you have questions about that, like what rest is, what Sabbath is, uh, for the people of God, like, l- let's get into that. That stuff, I think, is, is super big, super necessary, necessary and, and super, super helpful. So um, the fifth commandment, verse 12. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. And mom and dad said, amen, okay? Honor your father and mother. Why? That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Okay, so... Um, let me say this just on the front end of, as we kind of just break it on sound for a moment. Uh, there, there's real situations in our world where uh, the father and mother are without honor, okay? That have hurt, abused, um, degraded, and fractured their duty and responsibility as parents, okay? So, so th- this commandment is not... Um, even in those situations, you better follow and listen. That's not, that's not what this is. This is, um, no, notice the, the way God, again, calling them into covenant. There is this massive and continuous presupposition upon the people of God that they're acting like God. Right? That they're acting like a God who is loving and present. A God that is there, a God that is caring and, and is disciplining and is shaping a people like we would shape our kids. So honoring father and mother, again, has to be seen through the lens and the context of God is making a holy nation and a royal priesthood that would present God to the world. In other words, that when we honor our parents and we see parents loving their kids, what we get a vision of is the way God loves his children and we love and serve God. So that the world would look to the family and be able to say, you know what, man, you know what, the, you know what that looks like? That, that looks like God's love. What a beautiful picture. Again, why? Because we are called not just to be holy, not just to do the right thing and honor because honor is the right thing, but rather we're also presenting God. We're mediating God to the world. So honor your father and mother, okay, as unto the Lord. This gets quoted three times in the New Testament by the New Testament authors to make sure that this one is pounded home, okay? Um, And notice, again, that your days may be long in the land. Like there's this reality also to the sustainability of that as well, okay? And here's one of the things that, that, that often gets forgotten in the midst of that, is the honoring doesn't stop when they turn 75 and have to go into a home, or 85, or 95, what, you know what I mean? For you 75, some of you 75 are like, uh, forget you, bro. Uh, like, I'm good, I drove here, right? Um, hear me. My, my parents, my dad is uh, 73, 
My mom's 66. So there's still, there's still hopefully some years from when I need to step into care. But hear me, that, that's my job, okay? Uh, it, it, is not, it, does, it, it becomes your job to care for your parents when they get older, massively. And, and that gets, that, that, that's like lost a bit in our, in our world. It's kind of like, well, you know what? They do the home thing. You need to be present as much as you can. You need to pray for, you need to encourage, you need to love. Because listen, being a parent now for a whopping five years, man, we do a lot for y'all, okay? Okay. And, and so this honor and father month, it's massive. Again, and hear me, what a gospel witness to see like, dude, yeah, you could be spending all your money, all your time on you, but no, you're investing in these people. You're pouring time and resource and love and life into people that most of our culture has forgotten. Okay. It's massive. It's massive. It's massive. Okay, so um, the next one. Uh, these ones will go a little bit quicker. They seem a little bit obvious, but we'll do kind of the Matthew 5 connection uh, here in a moment. So uh, the sixth commandment, verse 13, you shall not murder. Now, most of us are like, sweet, okay? I don't know all of your stories, so maybe there's a couple of you in here. And let's talk about that, okay? <laughs> like... Uh, and God loves you too, but that's, that's big, right? And so I don't know your story in the midst of that. Um, but for most of us, and that's how we'll kind of have to approach this, most of you guys have not taken another's life, okay? At least, at least probably not willingly. But we do begin to then run into what's the law trying to do here, okay? Because the, the law, again, is trying to craft something far bigger, far more in-depth about the people of God than just an action, Okay? And so what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7, is he preaches the Sermon on the Mount to a watching people. He's arrived, he starts telling people, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And he begins to say things like, you've heard it said, but now I tell you. Okay? You've heard it said, but now I tell you. And he begins to address these different things. One of them is murder. You've heard it said, don't murder. But then he goes on to say, but I tell you, if anyone has looked angrily upon his brother, he has committed murder in his own heart. Now some of us are like, uh-oh, right? And I'm like, public enemy number one in this. Because like, I, get, I get angry about stuff, okay? And I get frustrated. I get mad. And I begin to wonder, like, okay, but that's not that big a deal, right? Like, it's, ah. Eh. No, God's like, no, it's a massive deal. Because you're supposed to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, mediating God's covenant to the world. So is there not righteous anger? Yes, and we did a whole thing on that back in Ephesians, so let's go back and find it. But, I mean, this, we don't have time. But is there righteous anger? Yes. Does God get angry? Absolutely, yes. But is it based in love and a desire to see that person burn into wholeness with the restoration in God? Yes. Our anger often is misplaced. It's based on my rights, what I deserve, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so in the midst of this, he's saying, do not murder. And, and he's trying to, Jesus is trying to unpack that law to say, it's not about an actual action. It's about the entire ethos, the entire reality of a people who enter into disagreement and hurt with love and grace and mercy. Why? Again, because that's what God does. It's what we see in Jesus so we act that way, okay? Just the other day, we were, Verdi and I were uh, leaving tourist home, 
and we just had breakfast, and uh, I was getting ready to leave for work, so we drove separate, right? And so she's getting into her car, and uh, you guys, you know, you drive down San Francisco, you get the parking spots on the sides, and so the, the two lanes are kind of narrow, right? And so, um, you know, take your time or whatever. And so this guy, uh, he's driving by, we're like standing, not even in the road, I promise you, not even in the road, just kind of between the two cars, and uh, this guy rolls down his window, uses a choice hand gesture, as you can imagine, and says a handful of words that really upset me. Get the out of the road, right? So fill in the blanks, okay? I start running after the car. This is two weeks ago. This isn't like when I was in college and visited Flagstaff, okay? This was two weeks ago. I got so mad. I start running, and I can't run fast, so I didn't catch him, but I was like, like, come back, you know? And so... I'm literally going like this, waving the guy back to me, as if I was going to do something. But, like, like, I know at the moment I would have got convicted, like, ah, oh, man, you know what, like, you should come to church. But, um, <laughs> but just here, that was the, this, this anger so quickly welled up in me, and then it became about me. And that's how fast things can happen. And hear me, I, I tell that story, and it's, it's easy, it's like, I will laugh about it. Like, that was sin, y'all. Like, there's no, there's no other way to view it. Like, that, that was sin. That was not the way of God. Okay? The, the way of God is death. It's, it's, I will sacrifice my own comfort and my own pride in that moment because I don't know what that person's going through. Right? Like, I haven't ever done something like that in my life. Okay? I mean, before I was a Christian, of course. But, like, I haven't yelled at someone that didn't deserve it. Like, I haven't overreacted. Hear me. We are to be a holy nation and a royal priesthood, set apart, different, acting like God. Why? That we might present him to the world. What I did did not present God to the world. It presented me to him. Okay? It's sin. Okay, next one. Uh, Commandment 7, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Same idea here. Uh, in, in that story, unfortunately, uh, in the church, okay, I'm not speaking redemption flag stuff, in the church is sadly far too high of a problem. Okay, husbands cheating on wives, wives cheating on husbands, chasing after things that are not their covenant partner. Okay, it is a massive problem in the church as well. So this one isn't just, ah, oh, there's not a ton of maybe murder in the room. I don't know all your stories. But again, some of you might be saying, husbands, wives, or maybe those of you who aren't married yet, like, I'd never do that, okay? Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who's looked lustfully upon another has committed adultery in their heart. Uh-oh. Because then when we just really start thinking through what we know to be accurate statistics of how many people are looking and watching things that they're not supposed to be looking and watching. And that's just the obvious stuff, right? That's just the stuff where it's like we can look and tabulate computer and internet data. Let alone the, well, I'm walking through the park and I intentionally allow my gaze to stare upon another for far longer than it belongs there. And God's saying, hear me, 
Jesus clarifying. It's not just don't commit adultery. I'm doing something bigger. There is an ethic. There is a clear ethic to the people of God in regards to sexuality and lust. And this is how we live in it. Why? That we would be set apart and different from a culture that's saying don't worry about it. We'd be outside of that, but not judging it, but rather than pressing in to say, this is who God is and it's better. Okay? And so we have to navigate that. Again, the law of God is good. Okay, the next one. Um, verse uh, 15, or no, uh, verse 15, commandment 8. You shall not steal. Now this, some of y'all are like, you need to go return something today. Okay? Like, that, that's just ah, a little thing, and it's taking something from someone else, whatever it may be. Here's one of the things that I think is really important. You know what I kind of view as, as stealing? Gossip, which we're going to talk about again in a moment. Why? Because you're stealing someone else's story for your own gain. You might not think of it that way, but if you know something about someone else and you share it with someone else that doesn't know that information, it's for you, not for them. Now, if you share it with like, okay, well, hey, you got this band of sisters, this band of brothers that are going to share things so we can pray for one another, so we can intervene and care for that person, that, that's different. Don't, don't overblow what I'm saying. But a lot of the gossip is, I'm going to steal what's true for your story for my own gain so that I can be the one to tell you stuff. So then, uh-oh, maybe you haven't gone to the store and taken a purse, right? You, ha- you haven't slipped something in a bag. But what have you done? Okay. And the- these are problems, uh, again, lighthearted, but in the reality of I was in Panera, and you guys know Anthony and I, we always rail on the don't fill up your water cups with soda thing. Uh, but we, I was in Panera. We were working from there down in Phoenix. We had a couple days down there for school, and so we're down there, and I'm buying uh, some lunch, and I see these two girls walk up, and at Panera, you can just walk up and order at a kiosk, and all the cups are just staying there. So it's this honor system, right? And so there's the water cups, and then there's the drink cups, and I hear them whispering to one another, hey, like, just take a regular cup. They're not going to know. You know, I'm paraphrasing. And so then I, my, I start getting real holy, okay? <laughs> and, uh, and I go, I go, I just look over, I go, don't do that, right? And they go, what? I was like, don't, don't take the, don't take the soda cup, fill it up, if you're not going to pay for it. And she goes, no, they don't, they don't care. I'm like, I guarantee you they care, <laughs> okay? I guarantee you Panera, Mr. and Mrs. Panera are not... Like, they're not for you stealing their stuff. And so they agreed. They compromised. Instead of taking two cups, they took one and shared it, right? <laughs> so then I paid for it, okay? So I bought another thing, right? So, um, hear me. so you hear that, and, and again, lighthearted, it's sin, y'all. And hear me, it seems like not a big deal, but it becomes a big deal when, again, we are called to be a holy nation, that we do things differently than the culture. We don't say things aren't a big deal if God says they're a big deal. Why? Because we are a whole nation unto him, a kingdom of priests unto him that the world may know about his glorious grace, gospel, and good news. Commandment 9, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I'm just going to read some verses. Proverbs 6, 16. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent 
blood. A false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Proverbs 19, 5, a false witness will not go unpunished and he who breathes out lies will not escape. Proverbs 19, 9, a false witness will not go unpunished and he who breathes out lies will perish. Okay, don't lie. Okay, don't, don't lie. And again, man, that is just, that just falls out of our mouths at this point. Self-protection, we kind of file it under. It's better if they don't know the truth. Not true. Okay, you're lying to yourself at that point. God wasn't just kind of throwing this out there as this, I want to add more to you. It's lying breeds discord, pain, and problems amongst the people of God and the world. We are to be a holy people, a set-apart people for representation to the world about a God who never lies, but rather promises and always fulfills. When we come as a people and we live deceitfully, when we lie, we, are, we, we misrepresent a God who whatever he says he does. We, we cast doubt upon the promises of God when we then buy into a culture of, ah, it's not that big a deal, I can say whatever I want. No. Holy nation, royal priesthood. Last one. Mm-mm. You should not cover uh, verse 17, commandment 10. You should not covet your neighbor's house. You should not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, his female servant, or his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Uh, again, holy nation, royal priesthood, don't covet. In other words, don't look upon the things that are not yours and live in this constant, I have to have it. God is one who provides. God gives all things to you. There is not something you possess that you achieved by your might outside of his sovereign hand. So you need not scramble and covet. You need not keep up with the Joneses. Your yard need not be nicer than your neighbor's. You need not have a nicer car. You need not look upon what does not and has not been given to you and say, I then God will become you and take it for myself. Do not do that. Why? You replace God. God, the provider of all things, he will provide you what you need. You need not take it. And he will bring it to you in its due time and course. Okay. The implications of this are massive. One of the biggest ones, just by way of encouragement, there's a hundred things we could say right now. But I do just want to speak to this, because to, 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 we've been hearing this a lot, to our dear friends here that, that are single. Like, don't look upon a spouse and say, I have to. Right? Don't look upon singleness as this curse. The, the Bible is like, no, it's a gift. And it's, it's, not like this, it's not like a gift, like you now own this thing that now will be yours forever. Maybe it will be, but the idea is in your singleness, your singleness is a gift to you. At this time, right now. Long for this thing. Now there's this, there's this good like, oh, I want that, I understand that. Don't all of a sudden become like you. You become God and force your hand upon his provision even in that area, okay? And you're so loved in that. I know, I know, it, I know it's not easy. But again, because God, God's saying, no, I'm provider for you. I, you're this unto me. We're together in this, okay? Like, I'm, I'm present, okay? So um, this matters to us. Again, why? First Peter 2, last minute of this, 2, 9 through 12, but you are a chosen race. This is 1 Peter 2, talking to the early church. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had received mercy, once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of this flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The Gentiles there just means non-believers, okay? In other words, church, this is who we are. A holy nation, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, for his good pleasure, a treasured possession, that we might walk in his law and in his statutes, enjoying the gift of presence with him, the community of faith that's been called together in joy, and the mission that we've been given to present this God to the world. Okay, that's who, this is who we are. This isn't just, okay, well, that's what God gave to Israel. It's what he's brought into the mission of the church. That's why we gather here. That's why we listen to the word of God. It's why we praise. It's why we're in small groups. It's why we read our Bible. Why do we do these things? That we might not forget who God has called the church to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love, and your goodness to us. Thank you for the cross and the resurrection that, God, you have given to us far more than we deserve. So would you bless us now in our response to you, God, that in everything we might be faithful, not just in this moment, but in the moments when we leave this place, that we would be a faithful people, that the world might see you in the midst of your people. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.